Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. I want you to know we've got a great show for you. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Got an exciting show ahead. Andy, how you doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. Just thinking about, uh, you know, what stage we're at as a podcast here. What would you guys say? Is this the honeymoon stage or are we into... Uh, the dog days of marriage. We already got divorced and then got back together for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Second marriage. Wow. Come so far. Donald. Are we still in the honeymoon phase with, since I joined the show? You know, I'm actually, it's like I was introduced as like a, people have threesomes to you know, spice up the marriage. <laughs> Well, I guess, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, things were getting a little stale with just me and Andy. People don't Maybe. actually do that, do they? I, I don't know, but uh, we're a template for how it could be so successful. <laughs> Clearly. All right. So this is the Album Nerds Podcast. We love talking about albums, the album format, all those lovely songs that fit together and sometimes tell a story or just make you feel good. And today we've got a great show for you. We continue our journey through romance, and we're going to be exploring stages of romantic relationships throughout the course of the three albums that we picked, and we'll be uh, digging into those one by one. We're going to be answering a deep question by Don. We're going to give some shout-outs to some album-related items, new releases, etc. that we're digging, and then we're going to spin the Wheel of Musical Discovery to find out what we'll talk about next time. But this week... Let's get into those stages of love. That's what I'm talking about! Well, love is, of course, a common subject in popular music. Some songs tell tales of love at first sight, infatuation, and the joys of new love. Others tell of the heartbreak associated with love affairs that end. And there are also songs that describe the journey in between. Today, each of us will present an album that addresses at least one of the stages of relationships. Yeah, I mean, trying to uh, break down an album that's just about one stage is an enormous lift. But I think a, a lot of albums cover cover these places within relationships, and I think we did a really good job of narrowing that down. Uh, how'd you guys do? What was the process like? For me, um, you know, I was trying to find artists that were falling in love when they made these records um maybe draw some inspiration from those those feelings they had at the moment so a couple came to mind bjork's vespertine i think she was right in the midst of a new relationship as she recorded that record and you can definitely hear it on there another one that i was surprisingly enjoyed from maroon 5 uh songs about jane from the early 2000s Supposedly that record is all about uh, an individual that the lead singer, what's his name from Rune 5? Uh, and Adam Levine. I wanted to say Toby for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a Toby. No, Adam Levine was dating at the time, named Jane. It was a pretty pretty good record, actually. And then I listened to uh, the Silk Sonic record from a couple of years ago, An Evening with Silk Sonic. That's the uh, Anderson Pack. Bruno Mars duo, just some sensual R&B. Not really tied to relationship enough, though, but I think I got one that uh, works out pretty well. I was looking for things in the middle, uh, middle of a relationship, and um, 
you know, if you are looking for uh, a subject to do an album about, you know, there's there's some space in there to mm-hmm. devote an album to the the middle stage <laughs> of a, a relationship. I mean, I I thought about uh, a Leonard Cohen record, which I, I found out you guys um, covered uh, years ago, called uh, "You Want It Darker." I believe that that was his last album. Within it is like the vibe of kind of growing old with with somebody, growing old with a partner, which is a you know a romantic concept. Another one, Roger Waters. Perhaps, um, you know, you've heard me mention him before. His first solo album, The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, really weird album, kind of hard to figure out what it's about. Um, but I, I, I believe it's kind of like a midlife crisis dream that a guy's having. Um, and he's like dreaming about cheating on his wife and, and stuff like that and then wakes up next to his wife. So um, I don't know, maybe one of those that middle stage where you're fantasizing about other people. I see. And that's what he calls hitchhiking, huh? Interesting. Yeah, I, I was for you know, I was kind of focused on trying to get the feeling of breakups, and I, I was thinking a little bit more about so- or albums that would be soothing during a breakup, or would sound like sort of sad and depressing. Cathartic. So was, yeah, yeah, cathartic. That's perfect. Uh, the Cure Disintegration. I'm not a big Cure guy, but I've been trying to find a way to get more into them. So uh, I, I explored that. That's a good Opeth, one. Opeth. Of course, yes. Opeth Watershed was another one uh, in more of the metal space that I was thinking about here. There are some songs about the end of a relationship. I listened briefly to Beck Sea Change. I just couldn't get into it. But I, I worked from lists of great breakup albums was where I kind of started to find my way. So No Gloria Gaynor? No, no, I will survive. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I ended up. I think you guys are too, so why don't we get to it? You. Choo choo choose me? The album is about, it's, it's somewhat of an, an autobiographical album about, about the experience of falling in love with your now wife and sort of the man you were before and the, the, mm-hmm. the impact of, of falling in love that mm-hmm. it's had on you. All right, we are talking about Father John Misty. Amen. Preach it, brother. Yes. Hallelujah. We're talking about his 2015 album, I Love You, Honey Bear. This is the second studio album for the singer-songwriter from Rockville, Maryland, born Joshua Michael Tillman. You may have recognized him as the former drummer of Fleet Foxes. We've talked about them on the show before. But he's out on his solo career, and this was uh, his second go-around at a record. It's kind of a concept record, uh, loosely concept record, from a period of, of his life where he was dealing with a lot of inner turmoil. He made a lot of mistakes, and he met this great woman, and he wanted to kind of turn things around and, and build a life with her. And that is largely what the record focused on. We are going to play the second single off the album, track number two. This is Chateau Lobby number four in C for two virgins. <laughs> Such a hipster name, right? I thought he was going to say you lost that love and feeling right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this song is about their first date. Uh, apparently, they got a drinks at this Chateau Hotel in Los Angeles. Uh, there was a mariachi band playing in the background, so we included it in the song here. Cool. Very kind of on the nose, I guess, in that way. Yeah, my clickbait headline for this record is Father John Misty labeled worst pastor ever after revealing daily LSD experimentation. Yeah, apparently he was into microdosing at the time of recording this and uh, might be fraud upon by the church. I don't know. 
Depends on the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, my impression of him coming to this record was kind of like this ironic hipster kind of like, you know, pointing out shortcomings of our society in sort of like this very obvious way. But as I dug into this record, I really found a lot of endearing human emotions scattered about the sort of like... Uh, sarcastic landscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This very highly sarcastic uh, tone he takes. Yeah, and there's a lot of really beautifully honest, but just very human uh, emotions he expresses, especially around his wife, which I, I thought were really just beautiful. I mean, I could feel similarly in, in some regards about, you know, how he just kind of wants to pull his life together and become a better man for this woman. I think that's awesome. And the record kind of comes to a crescendo at the end where they get married. You know, relationships are messy and this record is messy, but I think it also highlights the, the beauty of it as well. All right, why don't we play another cut from the record? This is The Night Josh Tillman Came to Our Apartments. I had to look up malaprops. I, I admit I did not know what that meant. Well, enlighten us. It's when a word is used that sounds like the word that should be used, but it's not using like the wrong word. Like, yeah. like when people say for all intensive purposes or something. Right. That, yeah. Yes, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's an amusing uh, song. I mean, it's basically him just listing things off that he can't stand about this lover. Um, I assume it's not Honey Bear. I, I assume this is maybe some other person he's had an affair with. I had that impression too. Yeah. He hates this person. Yeah, Probably Sugar Bear. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah so in the clip we played there you know the obviously this, this girl is misusing the term literally um which yeah. and there's they points out other things uh you know throughout throughout it that are annoying uh, about this person so just uh, amusing uh, but also the um the musical treatment is very positive you know so you, you've got sort of these this conflicting uh message going on so just uh just an interesting interesting song um my clickbait headline for the record is catchy hooks and harmonies mask intellectual hipsters cynicism <laughs> yeah <laughs> lots of the the album i, I think kind of feels lighthearted and poppy and, and catchy but yeah, I mean, it's just from such a cynical, sarcastic, facetious place. I agree with Andy that underneath there is some some sincerity, uh, yeah. some some human emotion. But I, I think the the sarcasm stuff can maybe be a barrier to, to finding that. Um, so it, it took me kind of a few listens, you know, before I really was identifying the the humanity and the record. I think he's guarded. Guarded, yeah. It feels like he's sort of uncomfortable being fully clear about his feelings about his now wife and it's there but yeah it's hidden amongst the the smart alecky comments and stuff because i mean i can relate (laughs) to that to some degree because it can be it's uncomfortable to bury your soul so yeah it's it's like a protection yeah but musically it's it's very interesting i i don't think he had a lot to do with the creative direction uh, of the fleet foxes but i i do here are some similarities. You know, certainly the the harmonies and the melodies are sort of Fleet Foxes like. 
it, it's not what you expect. You know, it's it, it's just not the the series of notes is 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 uh, uh, weird. Kind of like like Brian Wilson. Uh, you know, I th- if you hear a lot yeah. of Beach Boys songs, um, you know they're not obvious at all. The the harmonies are kind of weird. I can't put my finger on it, but I got a Brian Wilson vibe from it as well. If, see, Brian Wilson was kind of more shy, mm-hmm. and and this dude uses the sarcasm as the as mm-hmm. a mechanism. So, yeah, but the rec- record does have just like a, a beautiful sort of grandioseness to the sound. That I think softens his you yeah. know sarcasm a little bit you know there's some beautiful horns and string arrangements and you know kind of ethereal backing vocals uh, yeah a little a little honey to the vinegar there yes yeah yeah exactly it's it's a good mix that you have going here um why don't we play another cut from the record this is true affection with the face of using all these strange devices it seems like Yeah, this song was so out of place. I'm surprised you picked this one. Well, I, I didn't. It wasn't my favorite, but I just I thought that it was interesting in that it was an electronic sounding song that is about the disconnection and alienation that can come from like digital communication instead of face to face, like dating yeah. apps and and all of that stuff, where it's nameless and faceless and and sort of unreal. And so th- the choice of making the song electronic, I thought, was interesting to help elevate and and communicate that message but it didn't fit with the rest of of the record but uh i chose it just because it was a oddity i actually yeah. thought i might have downloaded like the wrong version of the album or something yeah. and, and it was like a bonus <laughs> cut remix or something it does it stands out yeah. yeah but i guess it fits with the message like you're saying yeah. i mean well it's such a interesting subject matter you don't hear people talk about much like for our generation in particular like you know dating in person was kind of the common way to do it for most of our lives and then we kind of transitioned over into this other way to do it midstream it would be kind of wild especially if you were getting back into the dating pool yeah the clickbait headline i chose was apparent cult leader learns to love a kool-aid not required congregation relieved (laughs) It's pretty the, funny. He does look like a cult leader, sort of. Well, yeah, and the name, Father John Misty, and then his background. Uh, that was part of what informed – I'd never listened to him before. This album, for me, was looking into his background where he was raised super religiously, and his dad was a preacher, and he, as he uh, got out of college, and he moved to Seattle and became – who he is now, you know, through the, his musical journey. So, yeah, it's uh, got a 70s singer-songwriter vibe. It was more, sometimes, it was more lush-sounding than I expected. The sarcasm and the detail was was deeper than I expected. So I uh, I enjoyed this, and I'll listen to more of his stuff. I kind of avoided him just because the name just sounds so hip and, yeah, yeah. you know. Kind of douchey. A little bit douchey, yes. So I've, I've skipped it before, but... Uh, this this opened my eyes a little bit. It's an interesting dude, interesting album, and definitely can feel the love hidden beneath all the snarkiness. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's that's what I was hoping we would get to, guys. I'm glad we all all found the love and uh, Father John Misty. So once again, that is I love you, Honey Bear. <laughs> 
right. Well, uh, I want to give a, a special shout out to another podcast called Sparks of Love, hosted by Jerry Lynn Sparks. In fact, she had Dude and I on for a, a special episode of her podcast. Uh, basically, she's like exploring love, uh, which is perfect because we're exploring love r- right now as well. Um, but so she does several episodes. Um, a couple of them, she's talking to a sociologist about the, the nature of love, talking to another professor about love yeah. in a, in a di- digital age. Uh, and she talked to us uh, about popular music. You know, for some reason, I don't know why she... Excellent choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that episode and all her episodes are, are out there. So it's Sparks of Love, anywhere you find podcasts. She returned the favor, uh, did a review uh, of her favorite album that deals with stages of relationships. So I chose as my love album, Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour. And the reason I chose it was every single song on that album is good. Like I could see every single song becoming a single. And I was really surprised that the title album wasn't really a single golden hour. Um, every time I hear that song, I just feel like it's the beginning of a relationship and love is new and nothing bad has happened yet. And then through the story arc, the entire album walks you through stages of a relationship or different kinds of love. The short track Mother uh, is an example of that. Love is a wild thing. I'm surprised also wasn't a single because it is such a, a fun tune. And I just think that in general, we underestimate the women artists, especially Southern women artists. When you see these greatest albums of the year, it's hard to find anything with Southern women. And there's so many, like Nina Simone is from my home state of North Carolina, Tori Amos, Emmylou Harris went to school there. So there's just a lot of Southern women and music that I think are overlooked. Casey Musgraves, to me, is one of the most exciting. Um, She's out of Texas. She's young, and I think we're going to see a lot more of her. So Golden Hour is my pick for multiple reasons. Yeah, we, of course, all enjoyed that record as well talked about it on previous episode and it's come up since 222 episode 222 222. so yeah um we agree so again that's uh jerry from sparks of love check it out anywhere you can find podcasts i'm good enough i'm smart enough and doggone it people like me if you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. Hey, Mom! The Meatloaf! We want it now! Mom! The Meatloaf! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my pick for an album uh, addressing stages of a relationship is Bat Out of Hell uh, by Meatloaf uh, with songs by Jim Steinman. Uh, It was released in October 1977. It's the debut album for Meatloaf, also known as Michael Lee uh, Adde, um, born Marvin Lee Adde. (laughs) His his name was Robert Paulson. (laughs) His name is Robert Paulson. (laughs) So actually, not Meatloaf's debut album, but the debut album for the duo of Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, uh, who is the the composer uh, of all of these songs. Uh, album was also uh, produced by uh, Todd Rundgren. the The album has origins in a musical rock version of Peter Pan that Steinman was working wow. on back in 1974. Um, so maybe you can hear a little <laughs> bit of that. 
Let's listen to one of the um, known songs. This is Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Okay, so this is actually the song that drew me to this record for, for this theme, um, because basically it's a it's a couple that is recalling sort of their, their first uh, sexual encounter together. And so, you know, the, the man is promising to, to love her, you know, forever, uh, you know, in order to, to get her to, I guess, give in to his advances. And so the, the twist at the end of the song is basically, you know, he's, he's going to keep his promise, but he's praying for the end of time so he can end his time <laughs> with, with her. Um, not something I can relate to, but I, I think, you know, probably people in the middle of relationships maybe, you know, feel some regret uh, about promises that they made in the past. The uh, the baseball stuff I always thought was cool, you know, rounding so the funny. bases. So and, funny. Yeah. And it's actually <laughs> Phil Rizzuto, which is cool. Oh, is it really? Yeah. That's the suicide squeeze yeah, running yeah, third. Yeah. Oh, my God. So funny. It's the typical dude trying to trying to get to home base and the woman saying, hey, we're not doing this unless you can tell me that you love me. And he's like, um, let me sleep on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> baby, baby. So that's a, that's a fun song with like a real kind of 50s feel, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of fits the idea of a, a, like parking at yeah. inspiration point or something. Yeah. To, you yeah. know, to go neck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that song, in addition to Meatloaf, uh, features vocals from Ellen Foley, guitar from Todd Rundgren, uh, and then two members of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, uh, Roy, is it Roy Bitton, Roy Bitton, uh, and Max Weinberg, uh, providing piano and drums. Nice. So my clickbait headline for the album is E Street Band Ditches Boss for Gothy Glam Rock Opera. This is a strange album in rock and roll history, I, I think. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Just this gaudy, dramatic piece of uh, of of rock and roll that uh, is hard to describe. You know, Steinman is just a, a, a weird dude who comes up with these, you know, just these theatrical pieces. He really has a, a sort of a signature sound. After this, uh, he went on to make that, that Bonnie Tyler record with like Total Eclipse of the Heart. Uh, and if you listen to that song in particular, like, yeah, that's that sounds like Meatloaf. Uh, he's also worked <laughs> with like Sisters of Mercy and stuff like that. Um, but very distinct sound. And that's a great marriage with meatloaf who is also a, a very theatrical voice uh, a, a unique talent anyway let's let's hear more here's a, a song called two out of three ain't bad I was a little kid when the album came out, um, but it, that, I I just loved that song. That was such a sort of anti love song. I, I I picked up on this like, I want you, I need you, but I'm not I can't love you. And what I never really understood about it, at least what I think I understand now, listening to it as an adult, is that uh, the the protagonist in the song he he's been through this himself. He yeah. loves somebody who told him they can't love him and you just sometimes got to live with the you know you either give him up or you you the two out of three is what you're going to have to accept and uh, it, it i think it covers that middle part of a relationship where you have to make this decision is this the one do i continue with this thing or do i do i cut bait and 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 try and and figure it out and meet someone that can love me but uh 
Yeah, a little more to it than I used to think. Yeah. Uh, the clickbait headline I chose for this album, Meatloaf serves up a hearty plate of bad out of hell, the ultimate TV dinner for your ears. It's, <laughs> it's like comfort food that's easy right it's easy to to digest and just listen to it like on the surface because of the theatricality and the fun but there is some nutritional value if you if you dig in <laughs> a little protein here uh, it's that rock opera style meatloaf's background in musical theater i think added to it but the whole like at the time there weren't really videos and stuff and i'd see him on tv he's just a sweaty mm-hmm. big dude with his Long hair just soaked in sweat, and he's wearing a tuxedo shirt because it's supposed to have that operatic deal, and he's just mopping sweat with a rag off of his head, and and I was fascinated by it. I thought the band was called Meatloaf when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that he identified as Meatloaf. It's <laughs> <laughs> a different meaning. <laughs> All right, well, let's, uh, let's hear more. Here's for crying out loud. Yeah, that's how nice to sum up how I felt about this record. Man, this is, this is an intense record for me. I, I found this whole thing to just be kind of be like relentless, you know, just meatloaf, just eulogizing these emotions at yeah. me for like, Oh yeah, forty-five minutes straight. Like, and the piano is just bam, 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 bam. I mean, the whole thing is just to eleven the whole way, as far as I'm concerned. Um, my clickbait headline is "Bat Out of Hell" provides plenty of leftovers. Mm-hmm. There's so much here going on, mm-hmm. so much to digest. I think I got a little bit of uh, GERD flare up here, perhaps from this one. The portions are large too, right? Because the songs are so yeah, long. Yeah. Portion controls, out of whack. <laughs> Comes with a roll of tums. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as much as much as there is here to to deal with, um, there's a lot of passion too, and just just energy in this music, which I have to appreciate as theatrical and a little bit over the top and kind of silly as it comes off to me. You can tell he really cares, and like he's giving it his all. Oh yeah, I, I love that. I love that about it. You know, lyrically, he's kind of rambly, and that's. It's more like he's delivering dialogue in a in a play mm. than he's singing a song, you know, a traditional verse in a song. Um, but I guess that kind of just feeds into the grandiosity of this whole thing. And, you know, for me, I guess it worked. I, I didn't expect to like this very much because I'm not a huge fan of musical theater, mm, which just feels like it primarily is. But he kind of sold me on it by the end. Well, it's a bold album, so I'm going to make the bold move. And I want Bat Out of Hell... In the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh. What? What do you think, fellas? Oh, shit, man. Yeah, you know what? I think so. It, it, uh, a part of, of, of its time in music, it, it cut a new path. Uh, it changed rock music and added that dramatic element that I think other genres did start to take in a little bit more. A lot of it, uh, I'm not saying this is metal adjacent, but some of that grandiosity has made its way into some of popular metal of the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think there were some elements that percolated throughout music. So yeah, I'm going to say yes. Andy. I don't, I don't know, Doug. In our notes, it clearly says nah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't I even considering this as a possibility. 
I wouldn't have laid on the uh, praise so heavily if I knew you were going to call my bluff. Curveball. <laughs> 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 ah, man, I am torn here, guys. I am really torn. I did enjoy it, but is it that level? I think, uh, Andy, I honestly feel where you're going with this is you want it, you need it, but you're never going to love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad, man. I really leave it up to the audience. <laughs> there you go. I think I will say, I will say, I'm not going to be upset if it gets voted in because I did come to appreciate it. But for me, it's maybe not at that level yet. So let's see. What does the listening audience think? We can put it up on our website, albumnerds.com. Maybe we can do something on the socials as well. Put it up for vote. So for now, out of hell and out of the album nerds hall of fame. <laughs> so once again, it's Meatloaf and Jim Steinman with Bat Out of Hell. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now, deep questions by Don. So we've been dealing with stages and in, in relationships um but i, I was uh, you know relating it back to um you know the artists that we we listen to what artists have clear defined career stages yes i think uh this happens pretty frequently as an artist they stick around for more than a decade or two they usually do go through a couple of phases i mean madonna would be a pretty obvious example mm-hmm. david bowie i think comes to mind you know immediately the one that i kind of experienced most directly in my life maybe it was like radiohead right from like you know like pablo honey which is like very poppy rock mm-hmm. you know into like okay computer which was really a dramatic shift into more progressive electronic sound yeah which is interesting so, and they've kind of stayed in that that general space since then you could throw Kanye west in there but I, let's let's leave him alone i think <laughs> I think about, I mean, obviously the Beatles. I mean, their sound shifted quite a bit, informed by what was going on around them. But at the same time, they were uh, influencing the rest of music with their interpretations of of psychedelia and other things. Uh, But that was was within a short period because back then you could record an album a year or two albums a year. And that evolution could really happen quickly. I, I really think about Peter Gabriel and Genesis. Together, they were yep. this art rock thing. Peter Gabriel's wearing flower costumes. It's super weird, super theatrical, very niche. He moves on, does his own experiments, more sonic than theatrical. Mm-hmm. And Genesis shifts more and more pop to the point where they're the biggest they'd ever been. Phil Collins mm-hmm. is a superstar. Um, they had some good, deep songs in the Phil Collins years with Genesis, but the ones we know are the the more upbeat um, songs. But yeah, that that was some serious change. Um, I don't. I, I wouldn't even think that the, a fan of the original Genesis. There's probably a lot of division yeah. about those about those two worlds. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, they changed a lot. Uh, well, I mentioned Roger Waters at the beginning of the show, so I'll, I'll keep going down the, the Pink Floyd path. Uh, I think Pink Floyd is an obvious choice. So their early singles and their first album the, was Sid Barrett was the, the leader of the band and was sort of this um, kind of post-British invasion, psychedelic, weird rock. He left and they 
had a period with like Adam Hart mother and all that stuff, just psychedelic experimentation, you know, 20 minute songs. Uh, and then they kind of move into their prime where they, you know, they do the dark side of the moon and wish you were here. And then Roger Waters has this basically, you know, just totally takes over the, the band and, and you have the wall and then the final cut and then Waters leaves and you have David Gilmore, you know, creating a, adult contemporary rock i can tell what side of it you follow (laughs) (laughs) well uh what artists do you think have clearly defined stages let us know on instagram and facebook or leave a comment on our website albumnerds.com anger sadness even joy sometimes certainly fear these were feelings that i was told i couldn't feel i had to sublimate them in some way or suck it up so with you ought to know it's just this unbridled rage Born from devastation. All right, so yes, I went with Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill from June 13th of 1995. Alanis started playing piano at age six, writing songs at age nine, signed to MCA Records at age 14, and released two albums that were more along the pop, dancey sort of Debbie Gibson world of, of music. Uh, but then at age 19 was dumped by the record label and went and wrote this uh, this album with Glenn Ballard. And a lot of it, I think, started with breakups and relationships and uh, inspiration. So why don't we jump in with a little bit of You Ought to Know. Now, this is often considered a great breakup album. Is on the top of a lot of lists, and I think it's largely because of "You Ought to Know." Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the crux of that song is taking back the power and saying, "Hey, you got to think about how this thing affected me. It's not, it's not fair for you to just forget it. You know, how can you just forget about all of it? I haven't, you know." And I think that's a a powerful thought, and I think that clicked with a lot of people in 1995 mm-hmm. women in particular yeah that song at the time was so huge in my high school yeah like yeah, guys and girls both really resonated with that i think just because of that you've, you've we've all felt that right like in a relationship right. like what about my feelings you know <laughs> why do you get to move on and i'm still stuck here well and i think uh also because of the the uh perspective right she had been drummed out of the music business had been kind of held back to do it this way you know and this was her opportunity to speak be herself and i think that that came through as well and inspired a lot of young people it's uh, very different from like i will survive because yeah. like that one's about like moving on and stuff and this is i mean she's not letting go yet she's going to tell this dude off before yep. she moves on with her yeah life. she's going to have her say <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and of course there are rumors about who it's about. She still won't say for sure, but uh, I'm really hoping it's about Dave Coulier because that just makes puts the cool in Coulier if it really yes, is. It but uh, okay, so the clickbait, <laughs> the clickbait headline I went with is "19-year-old Canadian woman leads musical revolution and redefines irony." There, of course, is the ongoing discussion about the the big hit probably the biggest hit on this album that sold 33 million copies won a grammy too i think right yeah i believe so but ironic was a a big topic of discussion when uh this was popular and i was not in i was not in on alanis morissette i thought it was whiny and weird and mostly i think i was just a dismissive male 
obsessed with my own music, my Pearl Jams, my Alice in Chains, and anything that threatened the, the sea change of where music was going pissed me off. And it was unfair. Mm. It was not fair. She reminded me uh, that, <laughs> the, the, like, I listened to this record. I loved this record. Like, I was blown away by I've never really dug into it before, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot, like, shockingly. I think you might be overcompensating. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I just I think I'm just more open to other perspectives and and trying to see it from other lights yeah, than I man. used to be. You've grown up. Yeah, thanks, Andy. You ought to know. I'm so proud. Why don't we dig into another one? Listen to a little bit of "Hand in My Pocket." Third single off the album. I think the theme for, for me of this record is everything's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fine. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. My clickbait headline is Morissette's releases new smash hit entitled Life is Like Tough and Stuff. <laughs> Andrew. I mean, she, she, she's right. <laughs> I was a big fan of this growing up in the 90s. This was very popular, as I said. Uh, I had a copy of this, listened to it a fair amount. Coming back to it, though, man, these ideas just sound way too overly simplistic to me. And I, mean, I understand it's written. She was very young, 1920 at the time. I was very young, younger than that, listening to it. But looking back at it now, it just feels like... There's not a whole lot here for me to dig into, especially with the lyrics. I'm surprised. I, I thought mm-hmm. you'd be the champion here, and I thought I, you know, when I picked it, I had I just thought it was a good pick, and I started listening to it, and I got into it, and thought like loved the phrasing, the ways that she used different words. The rhymes were not your typical easy love song rhymes. There was more to it. I I was impressed. I liked the harmonica. The hip hop beat stuff was odd in this space at that time, taking a pop elements and adding it to like grunge aesthetic. And I thought you were going to be loving on it, man. I'm shocked. I like, I like the harmonica. <laughs> well, she's from Canada. She learned it from Neil Young, probably. That's right. It's a requirement for every citizenship. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the vocal affectation that she adds... Throughout this album, I know, just man. annoys me to I, no end. I used like, to hate it, but it worked for me now. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't bother you? I don't know. It's like Valley Girl times 10 for me. Like It just bothers me to no end. I don't know. I don't think she's a great singer, to be honest. There's moments on here where I think she's just like off tune and just sounds a little bit lost in the songs. I feel like it's deliberate, though. Like, I think she's doing a vocal thing, but I, I think she probably can sing better than, than she does. <laughs> on her most popular album. This is number 69 on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time, Andy, of all time. Oh, it's not the Andy list, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, Don's been kind of quiet, so it's time for him to wake up. Wake Up is the is the closing track, if you don't include the little bonus or little hidden track uh, that, that was uh, on the album. That's probably one of the more kind of more simple, more like kind of melodic tunes, sort of a, a middle of the road thing. But it does seem to be, you know, her fed up with a man who complains too much and, and doesn't take uh, doesn't take action. I do like the line. She said, there's no sentimental value to the rose that fell on your floor. There's no fundamental excuse for the granted I'm taken for. Just an interesting mm-hmm. little rhyme there. Hmm. Yeah, listening through, um, you know, it's 
some are for you know little lyrical tricks or, or kind of cute and fun. My uh, my clickbait headline is angsty playful woman empowers women with polished '90s anthems. You know I I'm influenced by you know having lived through this era so. 1995 and 1996, listening to, you know, the alternative uh, rock station. I mean, it was just Alanis Morissette all the time. You know, so it was, you ought to know. And like each song was huge. And then all of a sudden there was another huge song on on the album. Like six singles, I think. Yeah. And so it just dominated sort of my, my, you know, consciousness for for a couple of years. And I I didn't love it at the time. And I was probably more like dude where I was just kind of averse to it. It was too cool. So you had to like everyone like. It so you, I had to not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's good to to go back to it uh, with a fresh perspective, and I do I, like. I guess I, I appreciate the playfulness of of her vocals. I, I understand why it might be a bit off putting to to Andy, huh, Mister Duplicity over there. <laughs> I I think she could sing better if she wanted to, but. I don't know. She doesn't really sound like anybody else. Nobody else at the time and really nobody else since. Nobody really sings in that way and does those weird things w- with her voice. I mean, she Alanis Morissette has just a, a unique style um, that I, I, I think I have to give her credit for. Yeah. You know, even though it was just such a, a huge hit and it's so well produced, it has a real like 90s sheen to it. It feels mm. sincere to me. You know, yeah. like I don't think she just set out to make a hit record. Um, um, I mean, maybe Glenn Ballard oh, had that yeah. in mind, but I, I think the the stuff is coming from the heart, and it's it's nice that something so big, you know, is is sincere. So uh, I definitely appreciate you know those aspects of of the album. You know, this is borderline for me. Like, this almost feels Hall of Fame ish because I really think it was super important in what it did, how it changed the scene. I think the scene changed in response to what happened after this, where in the late 90s we got really misogynistic in music, and I think it was a rail back against the more feministic approach that Mm -hmm. was coming in through popular music. I really do. I think it was angry men not liking that women were complaining about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not ready. Right. To, I'm not ready to go there just yet. I've only loved this album for a week and ignored it for <laughs> 30 years. So uh, I need more time with it. But I really did enjoy it. If you haven't heard it in a while, or if you've never given it the time, go check out Alanis Morissette, "Jagged Little Pill." Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right. So we've gone through stages of relationships. What other stages have you gone through this week? No. <laughs> that doesn't make any it sense. You just didn't want to say every transition. <laughs> you just didn't want to say digging. <laughs> All right, fellas, what are you digging this week? There it is. <laughs> new release time with Andy. Let's talk about Brittany Howard and her new record. What now? What now? What now? Huh? That's what my grandma used to say. What now? <laughs> uh, Brittany Howard, the frontwoman for Alabama Shakes. Had a bunch of games with them, and then she put out her solo record a couple years ago. I was not a big fan of her debut, but I am enjoying the sound of What Now. It's a very soulful record. A little more of a rock vibe than maybe in the past record. Yeah. I like a it. funkier. Uh-oh. I have a new release here from Hispanic artist Aledo Negro. The album is titled Phaser. It's really interesting instrumentation and just cool vocal style here. I've been enjoying this quite a bit. 
We also mention a new kind of extreme metal record from the group Enterprise Earth. The album is entitled Death and Anthology. Reminds me a lot of Dillinger Escape Plan from the 2000s. Elements of melody, also extreme like technical death metal. Uh, kind of mixed together with some R&B hip-hop elements as well. Really? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty diverse projects. Mostly metal, though. Yeah. <laughs> fun. What you been digging on, Don? Uh, well, nothing new, um, but actually, you know, g- going back in the past. New to you. Yes. Recently, I watched a, a documentary, an old documentary from the 70s, like Elvis on tour. And I just, I'm so captivated by Elvis Presley, the, the performer. Um, and I'm always disappointed when I listen to his albums. We did cover that one gospel album, which I liked. And I liked the Sun Sessions, but I hadn't really found like a mid-career album that was really enjoyable front to back. Uh, so I did find one that I like. It's called From Elvis in Memphis. Uh, it's the first oh, yeah. studio album he did after like the comeback special. And it's, uh, it's solid. Check it out. Yeah, but Elvis is a toughie in yeah. terms of like whole albums all right so as far as new music from an old artist a little bit of billy joel turned the lights back on new single has been released upon the world and and it you know kind of sounds like classic billy joel i don't know where this is going i don't know if an album's coming i mean he hasn't had a pop album since 1993 be interesting to see his perspective of life at this point after that many years away from pop music so we'll see Mm. as always trying to add to the vinyl collection and i picked up finally a copy of pearl jam's gigaton yeah it came out in 2020 i try and have all of their albums in some format and uh finally added it to the collection but now they've got a new album coming out this year and uh it's gonna be called dark matter And that single just was released for Dark Matter, if y'all want to check that out as well. But uh, I'm not sure what what that record's going to be like. We'll see. Dark Matter scares me. (laughs) Curious to hear it. Okay, well, what are you digging on? Let us know. (laughs) Hit us up on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and threads. Also, comment on our website, albumnerds.com. It will be a discovery of extraordinary value. Well, it's about that time on the show when I'm reminded of the great Jamaican songwriter, Bob Marley, who said, truth is everybody is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. Amen. It's good relationship advice, I think. With that in mind, let's bring out our friend Wadbot to find out what we'll be talking about next week in the romance series. Your musical journey through romance continues. Next week, you will be exploring albums created by two people with a different kind of relationship. It is a romance that only needs the letter B added to express its meaning. It is time to take a close look at yourselves as you discuss romances in music. So there are all kinds of love and sometimes there's a platonic love between fellas and that's called bromance it's a different flavor of romance but certainly (laughs) an interesting thought like dudes who have been together for a long time creating music and what those partnerships can uh, 
yield. Right. Don't forget, cast your vote for Bat Out of Hell on our website, albumnerds.com. Um, we'll also include polling on Instagram, Facebook, and Spotify. So let us know your thoughts. Does Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell belong in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame? Yes, it does. Oh, I'm not supposed to influence the voters. Sorry. You already voted. Stop the steal. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Does Bad Out of Hell belong in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame? What are your favorite bromantic albums? What else are you listening to? Leave a comment on our website or email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you so much for joining us once again here on the Album Nerds Podcast. We're going to live bromance so that we can talk about bromance. Love you guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. It's like rain on your wedding <laughs> okay. day. So that's a good record, guys. Yeah. Oh, He's no awareness.